0: I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Friday, June 5th, 2020, and this is episode 71 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. This episode is brought to you by Kensington Books' newest title from Renee Ann Miller, Never Conspire with a Sinful Baron. I have been finding a lot of comfort in reading romance novels recently, specifically historicals. I've been on a binge. It's almost like a fantasy where you're taken to another world with its own rules. And this one is the fourth book in USA Today bestselling author Renee Ann Miller's Sexy Historical Romance Series, which feature more modern heroines with interesting professions and plenty of agency. Lady Nina Trent has her sights set on a certain duke who's more interested in hunting game than finding a wife, so when the notorious flirt Baron Ralston offers to pretend to court her in order to attract the duke's attention, she reluctantly agrees. It's a charming, funny story where a slightly desperate but good-hearted rake has the tables turned on him by love. You can find Never Conspire with a Sinful Baron by Renee Ann Miller wherever books are sold. Find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. So this week's best thing is, given the situation, and by situation I mean the protests against police brutality and racial injustice, and the corresponding retaliation by police. It has been uh, it's been a week. So this week's best thing for me is the tiny bit of hope that I have, the possibility that things will change. And I think it's captured in this post, this poem that I saw that was on Instagram. Amidst the grief and sort of the sadness, the exhaustion, you know, we always live with anxiety and hope. I think that when you when you live with fear, the way that Black people in this country have to, and the way that a lot of people have to, um, there's also a hope that comes along with that. There's that anxiety, and then there's the hope that one day you won't feel this way. And so the poem is by Leslie Dwight, and it says, what if 2020 isn't canceled? What if 2020 is the year we've been waiting for? A year so uncomfortable, so painful, so scary, so raw, that it finally forces us to grow. A year that screams so loud, finally awakening us from our ignorant slumber. A year we finally accept the need for change, declare change, work for change, become the change. A year we finally band together instead of pushing each other further apart. 2020 isn't canceled, but rather the most important year of them all. I think hope is really important, um, even if it's tempered with cynicism. <laughs> They can exist together. I remember when Obama was running for president, I did not believe that I would see a black president in my lifetime. Um, And when that happened, there was so much joy. I can't even describe what I felt. And then after his two terms, we were hit with the... Retaliation, I guess. And I always think about the Reconstruction period in the United States after the Civil War. There was a period of almost ten years where Black people made all kinds of strides. We had our first Congresspeople and senators. Um, black people were—they came right out of slavery. Some, some of us, not all of us, but some of us came right out of slavery. And into and like grabbed hold of the opportunities with both hands and were successful until the retaliation. I mean, there's retaliation all during reconstruction, but it, it, you know, there was growth and there was a period of hope and there's a period of prosperity for some. Um, and then the hammer came down even harder and we go into Jim Crow and then a hundred years go by 150 till now. And all all along that time, you know, there's progress, there's growth, there's steps forward and backward. Um, At each stage of the way, as we gain some ground and lose some ground, um, you're holding these two things, this anxiety and this hope together. And I don't know if there will be substantive meaningful change after 2020 or as a result of 2020, which is a result of the past 400 years, but, um, I do have some hope that there will be. I think that it's heartening to see so many people getting it. When I wrote song of blood and stone, I first wrote it in 2013, my first book. And there is a scene where essentially it's a, a law enforcement shooting of a small black child. (laughs) A black boy. And uh, I don't remember why I felt like... I don't remember the, the origins of knowing that I needed that to happen. But I remember it feeling right. And I remember when I put it on the page, it was painful. But it was what had to happen in the story. But I wrote that in 2013. And... um. You know, it could have been nineteen thirteen or twenty one twenty three. It seems like it could have been any time, and I think that you know that scene and other scenes um, that are sort of analogs to reality that are in um, in my books cause people to say that at least that series is very timely. You know, it's fantasy, and there's magic, and there's romance, and then there are police shootings and refugee crises and uh, things that are shining a light on on our reality. And that's how I think I process things as a writer, as an artist. And that's part of, you know, what I'm trying to put into the world, putting out creativity and you know, that's one of the things that I feel like I can do because I do feel so powerless, you know. I vote in every election. Um, I make donations, but at the same time, I feel powerless to create actual change, to actually make things better. Um, and it's it's difficult, you know, living with that anxiety and that hope is. You know, you feel like you're on a knife edge. I saw a tweet from the homie, Zigzag Claiborne, and uh, it it got me thinking about the things that I think everybody needs right now. Um, So he says, saying, I can't imagine how you must feel to your Black friends is part of the problem. Take a minute to think about what such an inability means. And I think that empathy is... um, important. I think that Black Lives Matter, the movement, the saying, the phrase is all about empathy. And this quote is about, think about it. Imagine, imagine how you feel. You can do it. You have an imagination if you're a human being. And I was reading an article about the different kinds of empathy, emotional versus cognitive. And then there's just like the feeling that must be awful. I can't imagine how you feel. You know, it's well meant, but, um, No, go ahead. Imagine it. Use the cognitive empathy. Put yourself in that situation. How would you feel? And so cultivating empathy is part of the story. Black Lives Matter is sort of about trying to get people to recognize our humanity. And we know that they don't recognize our humanity because they murder us in the streets without any compunction and they don't get punished for it, which reinforces the lack of humanity with which society views us. So that's part of it. But at the end of the day, you can shout and scream and beg for someone to view you as a human. That's not really creating change. I think it does change some people. I think it's necessary, you know, because of the people that, are, that will be affected, the people who never thought about it, and now they are, and are practicing that sort of um, purposeful empathy and imagining There's a second part of it, which has to be completely separate from other people. It has to be from within the Black community, only us, for us, by us, and protecting ourselves. Because begging other people to view us as humans is not enough. You know, relying on other people to change their minds is not enough. It's important and it has to happen, but that's not all there is. And what that looks like is something that is going to be really hard. You know, I am lamenting the lack of the lack of strong and cohesive leadership right now. There are definitely leaders and activists emerging, but there's not that strong voice that I think we had in the civil rights movement, um, and not just Dr. King, but like the organization and the momentum and the cohesiveness. And there was division in the civil rights movement, obviously, but ultimately they were effective to a certain degree, right? So yeah, those are my thoughts. And just cultivating empathy and then protecting ourselves, however that means, whatever that means. You know, the um, defund police and abolish police is getting a lot of attention, And I think a couple of years ago when I first heard the idea of abolish the police, I was like, does that make sense? Uh, how does, how does that work? But as I, as I learn more about it and confront the reality that the police are intrinsically flawed, the police are intrinsically violent. And there's a lot of, um, articles on the topic talking about, do the police really help that much? Like, Under what circumstances would I, as a black person, call the police? Even when you do, uh, when cases of rape and domestic violence, when they don't do anything, they don't help, you know, uh, all kinds of other cases. So take that money and use it to prevent people from becoming criminals in the first place. You know, uh, take it to pour it into education and housing and mental health programs and leveling the playing field, decriminalizing certain things, decriminalizing blackness, (laughs) mainly, and pouring money, the millions and billions of dollars, depending on where you are, into that. Um, That's what I think it really means. I think abolish the police can be difficult because it doesn't mean that there's just no police. You know, you still have serial killers and, you know, People who need to go away, but a lot of this could be prevented. I did work on my writing. I didn't get a lot of words written this week, but uh, I did have to call on my friend writer Inez Johnson, among her many other pen names, um, to write with me several mornings this week to make sure I just got my butt in this chair and sat here. I was doing the character work, and I got to the point where. I think I could move forward. I had to reread what I had. Also really helpful this week was a long conversation I had with my brother about the character problems I was having. And I do consider him as an actor, as a professional actor, as an expert in characters. And if you haven't um, caught the interview, the first interview I ever did with him was back in episode 10. He helped me really clarify some things. I, and I know I do this, I tend to muddle. I tend to make things too complicated. And I've been trying to simplify. And he just kept asking me questions. And I was like, uh, he's like, why is that? And what? And and just poking at it and poking at it until he asked the question, what is this story really about? And I realized what I thought it was about isn't really what the story is about. Like there's an aspect that I'm very interested in, but it's kind of a backstory thing. It's kind of a motivation thing. The actual story from beginning to end is about a woman who goes through a portal into a new world does some stuff, and then, you know, the end. No spoilers. <laughs> and I think somehow the other things that interest me in this story uh, were, co- were clouding me and complicating things, and I need to find the least, what is the lowest common denominator? The shortest path between the two points to get from point A to point B. And then once I have that shortest path, I can add in the color and the life and the other interesting things. But the story is about the thing that this character has to do, the, the um the external goal and accomplishing it. And I was overcomplicating the inner journey, I think. And I and I subconsciously I knew that that was the source of the character problems. That I knew that the inner journey had to contribute to the accomplishment of the outer journey, right? You you have something wrong internally, set so the lie, the wound, the thing that causes you pain and it causes misbelief within you. And then when you solve that misbelief, that inner conflict, you are able to then get what you need to solve the external conflict. And these are all things that I know, but talking them out and having someone... Question you and question your assumptions and, and the things that, um, I kind of just glossed over made it more clear. And, uh, so I'm not 100% there yet, but I'm definitely well on the path. And so I have to just sit down and get this scene written and try to get back on schedule. I feel like I lost two weeks, which when I'm trying to finish this by the end of the month is kind of devastating. And also, it's been hard to write. You know, like I've been showing up most days and doing something, doing the work, but it's hard. And, and, um, you know, I've had people kind of checking in on me, like, how are you? And it's like, I'm not really any different. Like nothing has changed for me. I still have the same anxiety and hope that I always have. You know, my husband leaves the house and I hope that he comes home, um, and that is not any different than any other time but it, it is different and i think it took me a couple of days to sort of acknowledge that yes nothing has really changed just like coronavirus i i work from home that didn't change anything but it did at the same time you know and it's okay to take the time i need and um mean you know, i don't have a deadline for this project but I want to get it done, and that sense of accomplishment, like driving towards a goal, also just helps me. Sometimes I make sense of things. It helps me keep moving forward, and I need that. But it is difficult. It is difficult to be creative, and you know I've been seeing, not just now, but social media in general, so many people are so confident about their opinions, you know? And the democratization of opinion sharing caused by social media, like everyone can have the same platform ostensibly. It just, it really bothers me that so many people are so confident in not just their own opinions, but in telling other people how they should be acting. There seems to be just a lot of instructions and commands about what to do and and how to do it, and that always bothers me. I think that you, everyone needs to honor themselves and their truth, and what they're moved to do. If you are a non-black person and you are moved to check in on your black friends and acquaintances out of sincerity and uh, empathy, then do that, and don't expect any kind of response. You know, some people will appreciate it and some won't and that's okay as long as your motivation is is true to yourself and you're not trying to you know, you know you're not doing it for cookies basically. I think that people process differently. I think that silence doesn't always mean apathy. I think that trying to browbeat people into saying things that they may or may not be ready to say or take stances that they may or may not be ready to take is promoting this idea that people do things for the likes and the insincerity gets called out too like i really appreciate that people are calling businesses and organizations out you know i saw what was it the met posted a statement in support of black lives matter and then someone was like the met has never performed um a composition by a black composer ever the guggenheim Posted a statement for Black Lives Matter. And then some, I think it was a Black woman who had worked there, was the, one of the first Black curators, I think she said, and it just exposed problems and issues and racism in that organization. I just hate feeling like people are trying to get on a bandwagon and then they're not backed. It's not backed up. You know, if your company doesn't have any Black executives or how many managers, how many people in a hiring capacity that are Black, how many Black people do you even employ? I saw a post where someone was calling out a blogger or bookstagrammer for not, they had asked this person to post something, post either black books or some statement. And the blogger was like, I don't want to do that. This is a happy place. And, you know, that is her right. Like, you don't have to agree with her. But if she doesn't want to, and you browbeat her into posting something that's inauthentic and insincere, and then she doesn't review black books or like what is the outcome? Yes, BLM is important and we want to change minds where you can. For me, I would invite people to listen, speak when you want when you're moved to, do things with sincerity and truth, and if you're not ready, then don't do it insincerely. Study and listen some more until you are ready. Let people show you who they are, and we'll take note. And we'll pay attention, and those, you know, will act accordingly. So those are my thoughts on this Friday. Um, I don't know what the weekend will bring, so, so by the time this comes out, who knows what will have happened. But I hope that 2020 can be the most important year of them all. My goals for the upcoming week are to get words on the page. I want to wish my brother a happy birthday. <laughs> And uh, I hope that you have a good week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. Please leave a rating and review to help support the show. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcasts.